Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Well, perhaps you're a people pleaser or you know one. I suppress my feelings so I'm not a burden to other people. I think most people don't like my taste in music, so I let them DJ in the car even if I'm driving. Um, I usually avoid conflict at all costs. I invite people over even when I don't feel like having plans. I give out a ton of compliments to make people like me, like anything and everything that I can uh, say that is good about them. (laughs) Sometimes if something difficult comes up and I need to confront somebody, I make the mistake of accidentally giving them a compliment instead. I will eat something that I absolutely hate just so I don't hurt anyone's feelings. Well, maybe you can relate to some of those comments. Like everyone else, uh, you probably want people to like you and you care about people who matter to you. But when do you cross that line and become a people pleaser? Well, today on Focus on the Family, we'll explore what people pleasing looks like and how that can be a harmful behavior in the long run. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. John, this may be one of those issues where you see it distinctly in the other person, but not in yourself. It's one of those things, the log and the speck. Um, Like you said, uh, we all like to be liked. I think that's probably true of 99% of the human population. Um, But taking care of other people's needs instead of your own is a biblical-sounding thing, right? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And so I think there can be a lot of conflict in this area. Uh, The Bible's full of instructions about serving others, putting them first, not being selfish, and so on. So drawing that line between what's healthy and what's unhealthy is our job today with our guest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Mike Bechtel is back with us. He's always popular. Every time he's here, he gets a great response. He's an author, speaker, and blogger. Uh, Mike has been a consultant and coach for Franklin Covey for more than 30 years, and he's written a book that'll kind of serve as the basis for our conversation today, The People Pleaser's Guide to Loving Others Without Losing Yourself. And of course, we have copies of that here at the ministry. Just stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast. Well, Dr. Bechtel, welcome back to Focus on the Family. Well, thank you. It's always a privilege. I can't help but call you Mike. (laughs) You're just Mike to me. It makes it better for me anyway, so. (laughs) Hey, listen, let's start with your own journey and uh, where you were that people pleaser and you saw that in yourself. Um, What did it look like and how did it play out day to day? Well, I think it uh, happened early. I remember it probably in high school because I wanted people to like me. Uh And I wasn't real secure in myself. And so the way that I found security was to get other people to say good things about me. If I could get other people to like me, then I had value. And if they didn't say things, then I didn't feel like I had value. So I had to position myself in a way that if I was going to feel good about me, then you had to feel good about me. And you work tirelessly to make sure people felt good about you, which is the other question, that exhaustion you expressed in the book. You felt exhausted doing this. Yeah, the longer it went, the harder it was. I wasn't sleeping well. I'd have anxiety. But even in the early days, I tried to do things that nobody else was doing so I would stand out. I remember my first job, I worked at a morgue at a county hospital. Hard to get those people to like you. Yeah, but it, but it, pre- <laughs> just saying, but, but working with the dead and unresponsive prepared me for a life of public speaking. <laughs> but I was, but even with that, uh, I, I sold sheet music. Um, 
I worked at a, I ran a printing press. I did a drive time radio show in the afternoon. And all of that was so people would see me doing something different. But it didn't help huh. because, yes, they noticed. They were impressed. But I knew they were impressed with what I was doing. Inside, I'm thinking, yeah, but if they really knew me, they wouldn't like me. Hmm. So I was projecting onto them what I felt about myself, assuming they were feeling the same thing. There's a lot you're saying there. And going back to what John and I did in the open, that idea of the difficulty of identifying yourself as a people pleaser. Um, give us three of those adjectives. I mean, you're hitting on some of them, but let's be really plain so people go, oh, no, I may be one of those. What does it look like to be a people pleaser? It's some of the things we heard in the in the opening clip as far as I will take care of you, but I don't worry about me. I will say nice things to you. If we're having a conversation, I'm asking you how you're doing. I'm complimenting you. If you ask me how I'm doing, I'll answer quickly and then turn it back around so I have something else to talk to you about. When you describe it that way, is some of that just volume, if I could say it that way you know i think some of that is healthy you want not for the goal of being liked maybe that's the distinction you're doing it to affirm someone else but when does that cross that line when you go from you know being a pleasant person to be with and affirming somebody which i think is a good christian attitude to notice the things that your teenagers doing well and compliment them on that rather than attack them but um, when does it start to become about me i think you hit the nail on the head with the idea of motive, that if I'm doing it, if I'm complimenting you and reaching out to you and meeting your needs so that I feel better, mm. that's where it's crossed the line. But if I do it so that you'll feel better, maybe not just so you'll feel better, but if I really care about you, that's biblical. Right. And I want to care about you. I mean, I grew up, my dad was really nice. I wanted to be nice. And I always felt like I was nice, but I didn't want to have to be abrasive or rude or obnoxious. And when I finally thought, I need to do something about this, I went and read every book I could find on people pleasing. And every one of them said, you have to just forget about other people. You ignore their needs, take care of you, take care of number one. And I thought, that doesn't feel good because I really do care about people. And that was that journey was the motive for the book, to right. do something different than just can I still be a people pleaser in the biblical way? So let me ask you about that in terms of the research you did where experts said, just forget about other people, concentrate on yourself, you know, lift up your own needs. That sounds pretty uh, selfish, I guess. And these are experts. Why would they be saying it that way? I think as I got into it, I realized they probably weren't experts. <laughs> okay. They were, they were people who had that experience and their way of solving it, which I think a lot of self-help books are kind of that way. It's like they figured out something that worked for me, so I write a book about it. And I found more of that than expertise, hmm. where it's like, okay, they learned, I just need to give up everybody else, take care of me, forget about them. And it's felt yeah. very selfish. You know, Mike, it sounds like you're saying um, you've got to do a good job knowing yourself. Yes. And that's critical. And even Jesus said, it's really hard for us as human beings to know our own hearts. Mm -hmm. Only the Father knows our heart, right? Yeah. So it, that's a journey in itself, knowing your own motivations for certain things. But again, you know, where Jesus said, remove the log from your own eye before you try to remove the speck from your brother's eye, right? And so all of that is interesting to me in terms of getting to that motivation again. 
and why we're trying to please other people. And you say in the book that by doing so, you're actually creating a false identity, which for us as Christians, I mean, I'm trying to teach my, my boys all the time, your identities in Christ, your identities in Christ. This is all tied together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, it goes back to the fact that God created us uniquely. And if we can start capturing that, because there's a lot of people that say, well, it's, it's all about what God thinks of you. Your self-esteem should come only from how God made you, you know, what he thinks about you. It's like, but he made us to be in community. That's why self-help books um, usually aren't very good, which scared me because this morning I happened to pick up my book. I just looked at the back, and right next to the barcode, it's listed as self-help. I go, oh, great. <laughs> Welcome to the writing uh, hallway. Well, that really pleases me, Mike. <laughs> yes. Well, good. I can leave now. You know, but, I, I, I was just going to say, I want to, I'll bring in some illustrations. Jean and I were talking about uh, this because she's a self-described people pleaser, and she's far healthier in that regard now, but she was relating some of her high school stories to me where she would say yes to three different guys that wanted to go out with her on the same night. That doesn't work. And uh, I remember one time she said this guy had asked her to go out and she just felt bad about it, but she had said yes. So she went and hid and her mom (laughs) said she wasn't home and the guy (laughs) peeled out of the driveway (laughs) in his car. And I was going, you you did all that stuff? And she, you know, she just was very confessional about those things that really, she told me she helped two hitchhikers, two guys. I mean, that is an ultimate people pleaser, right? That's fascinating because guilt is a big issue for a people pleaser. Mm. We do things out of guilt. It's like, but I can't say no to anyone or I can't displease someone. I have to take the initiative. In fact, if I hear that you're moving, I will offer. You don't have to ask me. I will offer to help you move, whether I want to or not, because I want you to see me in that way. I'm positioning. And so it's not the real me. And that's so it's an integrity issue. It's not the real me. It's a counterfeit me. It's something Mm. I am building so that I can project that to you. And it's an image that is a lot of work to keep up. That's where well, the exhaustion comes and in. And I think for her, too, she just said, you know, it made me feel good to help others. But that it is yeah. a me-focused thing, huh? Mm-hmm. And Jean's doing it. She is in such a better place today, oh, yeah. believe me. And in that regard, you mentioned personalities that tend to lean in that direction. Mm-hmm. Types, personality types. What are those types? What are those uh, frameworks that for some of us we may lean that way just because of our own wiring. You know, I think the most, the simplest one is introverts and extroverts. Yeah. And a lot of them tie, there's different levels of that, but introverts tend to be more focused on what they're feeling, what other people are feeling. Interesting. Usually an introvert is uh, much more sensitive to what's going on around them. And they're thinking about how are other people responding? What do they need? Extroverts think faster. Introverts tend to think deeper. Right. And so an extrovert can be putting it out there and trying to tell stories and do things to get other people, not to get them to like them. It's just that's how they are. So it tends to be a little more on the introvert side. Interesting, because Gene leans a little more introverted. Yeah. So that's really fascinating. I'm curious, how have you seen people uh, pleasing play out in your marriage and your family? I mean, that's what we are, marriage and parenting. But, you know, being a people pleaser to a friend is one thing, but then how does a mom demonstrate that with her kids? Well, I think it starts with a marriage. When you first meet each other, you're trying to please the other person. But then the the honeymoon may be over, and you're starting to try and hold up that image, but you can't hold it up all the time. Right. And so the reality of it comes up, but we're designed to please other people. I mean, even in Philippians, it talks about 
consider others more important than than yourselves and um, think not only of your own needs, but the needs and interests of others. So it's very biblical to do that with a spouse, with our kids, and it's part of how we raise them. That's our responsibility is to meet their needs. And that's not always a positive thing in their minds, but to be focused on them. That's why the discovery for me when I realized people-pleasing is not a bad thing. It's a very biblical thing. It's something that can make us, it's, it's our superpower. But again, it's your motivation. Exactly. Yeah. If I'm doing it so I'll feel better about me, that's a problem. But if I'm doing it because I have found security in my, inside of myself from God, from who I am, from how he created me, from my uniqueness, that frees me up now to be the best kind of people pleaser. So in that, in that question I asked about marriage and parenting, uh, give us some scenarios of how people pleasing may show up in those, you know, close, emotionally intimate relationships. You're under your own roof. Well, I think for me that one of the biggest ones was I didn't want to say no to my kids. I wanted them to like me. And so I wasn't the strong dad in a lot of cases that I should have been because I didn't want them to be upset with me. That's really common, I found. <laughs> and so I wanted, them to, I wanted them to see me as the fun dad. I didn't, my dad was that way. He never, I can't remember him ever disciplining me in a strong way. Right. He was always just nice. And I always thought, I want to be nice. But a surgeon is nice but they also cut when it's needed. And so that's the part that a lot of people miss with the relationship with their kids growing up. It's like we need to have the courage and the strength to be able to do what needs to be done, but at the same time mix it with that compassion. Yeah, no, that's good. And I think in the, to your point about the honeymoon in your marriage, when the reality hits, it is impossible to meet those expectations. If you haven't talked about who you really are and you don't know each other well at that point. It took us a long time. I think it probably took us about 12 years of marriage before we finally realized we weren't being honest with each other. We were kind of positioning. We were skirting around issues. And finally, we just started reading a book together. And it was a a book about marriage that caused us to just ask questions. But what you're saying there, it wasn't a deliberate, um, you know, deep mis- trust or, or a desire right. to mislead. I mean, you're just trying to be the best person you can be, but it's not who you are. Well, there's not a lot of, <laughs> not a lot of instructions that come when you get married. There's no instructions when you have a kid. Yeah. Uh, you have to figure a lot of this stuff out, and you're growing into it. I mean, if I knew now what I knew 44 years ago when we got married, I would, do, would have done things a lot differently. But the reason I know now is because we went through those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, today on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly, our guest is Dr. Mike Bechtel, and uh, he's written the book, The People Pleaser's Guide to Loving Others Without Losing Yourself. Uh, It's a great resource, and if you're not a people pleaser, you know one, I'm sure. And so uh, get a copy of this and benefit from Mike's insights and wisdom. 44 years of learning and putting into practice all of uh, his people-pleasing background. And uh, the book is available at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Or call 800, the letter A, and the word family. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. In light of the Supreme Court's recent decision on abortion, are you ready for what comes next? And how should we respond as emotions run high? As Christians, we need to be ready. and Focus on the Family can help you prepare. Join us every Monday to hear inspiring stories from people who faced 
their own pro-life moments and experienced God's love. To learn more, go to FocusOnTheFamily.com slash SeizureMoment. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash SeizureMoment. You know that situation your family's facing? It's okay to ask for professional help. Focus on the Family's Christian Counselors Network can confidentially point you to a trusted therapist near you. We've been connecting families to verified Christian counselors for more than 40 years. Find a way forward for your family at focusonthefamily.com slash get help. That's focusonthefamily.com slash get help. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Mike, in the book, you mentioned that one of the great fears that people pleasers face is inadequacy. I think I understand that, but no matter you know what success they're experiencing or how many compliments they receive, it's kind of never enough to fill that void. They got to keep seeking that affirmation. Um, how does uh, today's social media, as an example, feed into that problem? Pinterest, you know, I'm all, the women we have on the program, moms are always saying, you know, that's not the real me. That's just the perfect me. Uh, speak to that problem of social media and that in feeling of inadequacy. We tend to put our best foot forward on social media. When we get our portraits taken, we smile, whether we feel like it or not. And it, we always published one where everybody smiled correctly. And our eyes were open. Exactly. <laughs> That's we don't my see, problem. We, we don't I tend see. to blink on every photo. I don't know what that is. We, we, we don't uh, no, see the other 200 pictures that were taken first to get that one. And it's like we want to come across in a certain way. Social media, there's the comparison. And inadequacy is a huge issue for people pleasers because we have to be perfect. We have to be liked. And if I look at social media... I'm seeing everybody else's life, and I compare mine with it and say, well, mine is not theirs, but it's like I'm not them. And so when we start comparing, it's really hard to get a good sense of who we really are and to learn the gratefulness of, for who we are and what we have. Well, and that's important to hit again because what you're saying is that feeling of inadequacy is overcome by gratitude. You know, that we, we don't always make that connection. So if you're somebody who's feeling ad- inadequate, you know, I'm not going to the gym enough, you know, that I'm not losing enough weight, all those, you, and you have this tape playing in your head, how do you move that to gratitude? Lord, thank you for allowing me to eat so much ice cream, I'm overweight. <laughs> but what, what, what do we say to ourselves? What's, what's the proper tape we should be hearing in our head? Well, I think that it starts with knowing what's true, with being honest, almost like Alcoholics Anonymous or anything like that, admitting the problem and realizing the truth about it, not skirting around it for myself. I'm not going to announce it on social media, but to be able to recognize the truth of who I am, what's going on, the choices I'm making, and the choices that I make are things that I'm doing. It's not my value. It's not who God made me. But the gratefulness comes when I'm intentional about it. You, you have an analogy in the book about a turtle. I think this makes the point pretty powerfully, the turtle and the, the eagle or something like mm-hmm. that. Remind me what that was. We're often told we need to soar like an eagle. And if I'm a turtle and that's how God created me, then that's going to be really frustrating because I'm going to spend my whole life thinking I need to soar. They've told me that's what's important. And so many people tell us what we need to do and I want to please them. So I'm trying to soar like an eagle, but... I can do things 
as a turtle. If I can learn to accept the fact that God made me a turtle, I can do things that an eagle can't. I, I have ground skills that an eagle will <laughs> never have and to be able to understand no that, and yeah. i get that but you know even hearing that it and this may be the western culture the american culture i know we're airing this globally so forgive me for this analogy but here in the u.s we all want to soar like eagles if you played sports in high school it's about winning it's about soaring it's about flying and god made you as a turtle i mean how do we even reconcile that with those cultural bombardments about, I mean, even us as parents, I remember having to pull back with my boys in sports because I was that, fo- I was football, basketball, baseball. I played it all. I lettered them, all of them. And I'm expecting my two boys that they're going to be there. But speak to that, that whole winning attitude. You got to reel it in, don't you? Yeah, I came in from the other side because I was a four year letterman in band. <laughs> I never played sports. I played the trumpet. It didn't. It wasn't until after I graduated I realized that was not cool. So. Right, but I mean that is part of it. I remember getting a call from Trent when he told me he won a gold medal in sixth grade. I was like, "Great, what was it? Chess club? Wow, that's awesome!" <laughs> I yeah. mean, and that's when it really caught me. Mm-hmm. I, I had to realize. We're not going to be wired the same way. And I I had to support him, and I did, you know, thankfully. Well, I think that goes back to how God creates us each unique. Our strength as an introvert, as an extrovert, as a person, as someone who relates to other people comes from my uniqueness. I think it was John Ortberg who said we need to become you-ier. The more, uh, hmm. the more we can become the best version of ourselves, that's where our strength is. And if I can accept what I can't change— realize this is God's creation. So the more I try and go outside of that, the harder it's going to be. Yeah. Let's go back to something that I think uh, you mentioned in the book that connects with so many of us, and that's that um, idea that we fear conflict. Mm -hmm. I think this is broader than a people-pleaser issue. I think most human beings uh, fear conflict. We're not really wired for conflict in so many ways. And People are rewarded in the culture, in the business community particularly, if you can negotiate, if you can hit conflict head on, and typically you rise in that organization. But I don't think it comes naturally. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. You're the doctor. Uh, But what about conflict and its pervasiveness in the culture and humanity, and then how does it become applied to people-pleasing where it's really unhealthy? When I was uh, growing up, I remember seeing older people that were nice that were pleasant. And I thought, people like them. And then I watched people that would get angry and people didn't like them. It's like, well, I don't want to be one of those. And so I remember working really hard not to be angry. I stuffed it. And I always believed I was not an angry person. I thought, no, I, I just don't get upset. But then I started realizing inside that anger was eating me away. And I even read a book, a Christian book when I was a teenager that said, anger is a sin, all anger. And so if you are angry, you are displeasing God. So stop being angry. Well, I didn't want to displease God, so I stopped it. And that means I avoided all conflict because there was usually anger involved in that. Well, it is quite unhealthy to stuff anger, right? I mean, what's a healthy, what's a Christian way to express displeasure? If I mean, anger has so many shades, and there is sin in anger. I would agree with that. But you know, if you're upset about something, that's one thing. If you're outright angry and you're uncontrolled, I would say that's in the sin category. But just, you know, what's a healthy expression of letting off a little steam? Well, and I think that's where the scripture says, be angry, but don't sin. 
Right. And so one of the ways to deal with anger, if I am feeling, my wife and I have learned that if I am really feeling angry, all I have to do is express it. And I don't have to yell at her. I don't have to become hostile. I can simply say, right now, I am really feeling angry with you. I need a little space. Give me five minutes. I'll be back. And she said that was important because she always felt like I was going to leave and never come back and that we had just really had a breach. But it built built trust. It built respect because I can say, I am angry right now, but I I don't want to say something that will be hurtful. I don't want to say something that I really don't mean. You know, as a skill set, why is that so difficult to do exactly what you said? I, you know, I think I still struggle with that, being able to catch myself and say, okay, Jane, right now I'm feeling very angry towards you and I'd like five minutes. <laughs> it's uh, one of the more elusive skills for me. So how, how do I concentrate on that and do a better job capturing those emotions and backing up the train? Well, I think I I would slow down a little bit. I would stop and maybe not even say anything for a minute because if I say it the way you just did, it's a very controlled sarcasm. Right, exactly. It comes across that way. You noticed. Uh Oh, yeah. (laughs) But it's like- That's why you're the doctor. Because what we want to do, even if I can just stop and not say anything, it gives me a chance to choose my response. I think that one of the biggest things we can do with any emotion when it's in the middle of it, we can't come back with logic. Because emotion and logic are like oil and water. Right. And if I just slow it down and just stop and choose my response, I think if that's the issue, that's the first place I would go is learn to make that a trigger. The anger, I slow down, I stop, and then decide what I'm going to say. Mike, this has been really good. I want to come back, though, next time and continue the discussion on some of those other attributes uh, of the people pleaser and then really get into ways to correct that understanding and help everybody be healthier in this space. So can we do that? Absolutely. Let's do it. And uh, let me again turn to the listeners and the viewers. This is a great resource, The People Pleaser's Guide to Loving Others Without Losing Yourself. It's that fine balance. It's kind of like that balance between truth and love, right? And it's in that same category of how do we take care of ourselves and yet you know, value others as we value ourselves. And this is one of those delicate areas that sometimes we need a little guidance to better understand what the Lord requires of us here. So I want to really encourage you to get this book. And from Focus on the Family, if you can order it through us, uh, all the proceeds will go back to helping in ministry. And if you can make a gift of any amount today, we'll send it as our way of saying thank you, uh, whether that's $5 or $50. Um, we'll send it to you. So it's a great resource for you and we'll help other people together. Yeah, donate today, further the work that Focus on the Family is doing to support families and uh, help people cultivate a deeper relationship with Christ. Uh, Request that book from Dr. Bechtel. Again, it's called The People Pleaser's Guide to Loving Others Without Losing Yourself. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Well, plan to join us next time as we continue the conversation with Dr. Bechtel. And uh, for now, on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining today. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. 
It's like a solid 5 out of 10. <laughs> Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com getaway. Today on Focus on the Family, we're going to return to the topic of people-pleasing and why that is not always a good thing. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. And Jim, let's start off with some perspectives on what people-pleasing is like. Um, you're not required to set yourself on fire to keep other people warm. <laughs> that, that one right there is pretty funny. How about when you say yes to others and make sure you're not saying no to yourself? Uh, people-pleasing hides the real you. Okay, the pop singer Ed Sheeran, who said this, I can't tell you the key to success, but the key to failure is trying to please everyone. Mm. That's pretty powerful. And what's ironic about people-pleasing is that it's well-intentioned. We can pat ourselves on the back how nice we are toward mm. others. And people-pleasers want to be liked and take care of other people. And at the core, it's not a bad thing, but somewhere along the line, that motivation may be misplaced. Mm and their approach can get out of control. And we talked about this last time with our guest, Dr. Mike Bechtel, and uh, I'm looking forward to today's discussion as well. I am as well. He has written a great book. It's very helpful. It's called The People Pleaser's Guide to Loving Others Without Losing Yourself. And um, there is an autobiographical element to the book, and it really is a a very powerful tool. Uh, Get a copy from us here at the ministry. Uh, You can call 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Mike, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. Now, last time, you know, some people may have misunderstood me. Jean is a self-described people pleaser, and so some of the examples I mentioned last time are things that she shared with me. But that is right at the top of day two now, uh, you know, to grab those that may not even know that they're people pleasers. Describe for us what that people-pleaser behavior, the unhealthy people-pleaser behavior looks like. We all want to be people-pleasers. We all want people to please us. Where it gets unhealthy is when I'm trying to meet my own needs by pleasing other people. Right, even to a fault. Exactly. It can be that I want to take care of you. I want to help you. I want to, to offer to do things for you so that you will see me in a positive way. But I'm becoming invisible when I do that. What's the healthier tape in your head, though? I mean, if you want to, you know, demonstrate the gospel to people, you are doing things to take care of others. That's admirable. But it gets back to the motivation of why you're doing it. Mm. Evangelism has an interesting component to it because a lot of people, especially people pleasers, do evangelism in order to get other people to see that they're doing what they're supposed to do. It's a guilt-based evangelism. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. And so they're doing it because I want you to be able to say, look at him. He's doing evangelism. He's sharing his faith. And it's not because I care about people, if I'm a people pleaser. It could just be because I want to get the check marks. I want your affirmation in what I'm doing. Where it changes is when I can reach out to other people because I care about them. And right. it changes from having to do it for my own needs, but it's like they really have something that I can give them an answer to. Well, and I appreciate that because, again, as we started last time, John, I mean, people-pleasing, I think we all have a little bit of that in us. I mean... We should. uh, It is a God thing. Uh, It just gets unhealthy when we're putting the focus on ourselves. And Mike, one of the things you mentioned in the book that caught me was this discussion about mirrors, how we assume that everything we see in a mirror is accurate. Now, I 
I think that is a fair statement, but you say no, maybe not. How is that? Well, we've all gone to the county fair where they have the fun house with the mirrors that make <laughs> make your head the size of a volleyball and your body the size of a Volkswagen or vice versa. And, right. and we know that they're distorted, but we look in a mirror and we assume that it's right. We never question it. We don't say, I don't like what I see in the mirror. The mirror must be bad. It's like, no, I think I'm bad. But we start using other people as a mirror. The way I see myself comes from what other people see, how they respond to me. Uh. That's when it becomes a problem because I'm starting to to find truth in what other people say instead of what's really true. Yeah. Is there such a thing as a skinny mirror? Is that real? <laughs> I mean, if you pay yeah, enough money, sure. I need to buy some of those. I'd like to fill my house up with skinny mirrors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you describe that scary mirror as well, and that's the one in your home. What is the scary mirror, and why should we be panicked about that it's one? It's one of those round mirrors that magnifies that oh, yeah. a lot of people have. You see every pore? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because And it's great when you have a splinter and you're trying to get it out of your finger, but if we look at it too close, we see every little imperfection, like you said, every poor, everything that's wrong. And if that's what we look at and we look that close, we assume that if we can see all those things, that looks horrible. Everybody else must see them too. Yeah. And so it's looking too closely at ourselves, assuming that my perception of me is has to be your perception of me. And that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah. So what's the healthy side of that? What's the right distance from the mirror <laughs> that oh, you should be yeah. looking? That's a great question. I think the healthy place is to get close, to look at it, to see those details, and then pull back so I can see what other people see. But the reason I look close is so I can change anything that I need to. Then I can walk away. That's why you go to a restroom. They all have mirrors. You look before you go back out into the world. And that's a healthy thing. But it's unhealthy if I look at the scary mirror and stay with it too long, and then I may not even go back in the, out into the world. Huh. Um, another aspect that you mentioned in the book is this idea of integrity and how that's an antidote to people-pleasing. You know, that's all of what we're talking about. It is kind of the fundamental character that we need, that idea of integrity. We need to pursue that every day in our decisions and interactions with others. You share a story about a a challenge you were given to spend an entire day without lying. Now, I can't believe you you struggled that day, but I guess in some ways when somebody says, does this dress look good on me? If you don't tell them the truth, I guess that's a little bit of a, a lie. But what was that day like and where did you fail? I thought it was going to be easy. Because it's not what I see as part of my character, but I had to uh, go about my day. And the first thing that happened was I had a client who called me and said, I'm having a problem with this particular thing. Do you think you could help me find a solution? I said, yeah, let me take it up the food chain. And so I talked to our tech department and said, I've got several clients that are having this problem. And I thought several clients. I exaggerated because I thought it would probably get them moving more Mm. than if I just said I have a client. And I realized six other times that day I did something similar. For me, it was exaggeration. So it wasn't big, but it was obvious to you. Yeah, it wasn't exactly accurate. And I think we tend to Photoshop ourselves because we want to put ourselves out in a certain way. I remember teaching at one of the uh, film studios in Hollywood And I had lunch with one of the people that was just in the class. And I said, so what do you do? He said, well, I work on the web. 
I said, so you're an IT guy? He said, no, we're filming Spider-Man, and I'm the guy who does the web that comes out of his hand (laughs) when he throws out. And I said, well, how do you do that? He said, well, we just get up on the roof, and we take a ball of yarn, and when it's windy, we throw it over the edge and film it, and then we use the computer to turn that into a spider web so it looks realistic. He said, none of it's realistic. He said, everything I do is untrue, is the way he said Oh, interesting. And it's, uh, he said, but we tend to do that. People pleasers do that with their lives. It's like, I want to put myself out there. I want to Photoshop my life so that you see me in a certain way. I need to pull back from that. Hmm. Does that relate kind of to what the we talked about last time on social media? I mean, are there people that are are doing a fake world just to please others and they wouldn't dare show anything real? I think so, but I don't know if it's intentional. I think they may do it because they've grown into it. It's like, well, this is what everybody else is doing on social media. Yeah. This is, I'm not going to get on there and talk about what a great conversation I had with my parole officer last week because it's, it's different. We're trying to project our best image. It's how social media works. Yeah. And there's a healthy side of social media. But if I can figure out ways to pull integrity into it so it's honest, I think we can actually use it as a tool. Yeah. Let's move to another uh, character trait that you identified, and that was to foster curiosity. I like that. Uh, For the people pleaser, why is curiosity an important attribute to pursue? Because if I'm trying to grow away from the wrong kind of people pleasing, if I'm curious about you and genuinely curious, then I'm not just trying to get you to respond to me in a certain way. It's like I can set that aside. I'm not worried about me anymore. I really want to find out about you. And one of the simplest things I can do is to listen deeply to what you say in response. Be curious. To, yeah. I can, because I, then when you say something, a, something as simple as saying, well, tell me more. And then you tell me more and I'll ask another question so that I am really trying to explore. I did that yesterday at the airport. I was in line with somebody and, and I, she asked me a question. We're just waiting to get on the plane. And I just responded, but I asked her a deeper question. So I explored Usually that little question, tell me more, you can repeat it to find out because I was just curious. It was a fascinating conversation. I didn't say hardly anything. I just explored because I wanted to know. And I wasn't worried about how I was coming across. I wasn't trying to get her to like me. The more curious we can become, I think the easier it is to get into this proper kind You know, of- when you say it that way, it sounds like what Jesus did with his interactions with people. He would start with questions and... Well, yeah, the Samaritan woman. Yeah, I mean, really, and really just help them almost under- realize for themselves as they're speaking, oh, that's me, or oh, I do that, right? That's exactly, I think, how the Lord deals in our own hearts today, because mm-hmm. he's still alive in us, right? And that's, I think, part of the Holy Spirit's work in our heart, just to whisper... That's you. <laughs> You're well, I the think one. a fascinating uh, exercise would be to go through the New Testament and just look for every question that Jesus asked mm-hmm. through, for, through the four Gospels. That would be good. Just capture those and see how did he use those. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Hi, I'm Jim Daly. The Supreme Court will soon make a significant decision on abortion. How will this impact you? Join me and other pro-life champions, including Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens, on June 14th for Focus on the Family's Sea Life 2022 live stream. Find out how you can respond to this important pro-life moment. Sign up at focusonthefamily.com slash life. That's focusonthefamily.com slash life. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. 
Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. And Mike, one of the things that we mentioned last time that I think we need to pay especially high attention to is gratefulness as Christians. Uh, for those that are joining us today, what, what is the gratefulness aspect of people-pleasing? It's one of the quickest ways to heal from being the wrong kind of people-pleaser. Mm-hmm. When I can intentionally change my focus to be grateful for almost everything I have in my life, I'm not trying to get my self-esteem from you and what you say. I'm grateful for what God has given me, who he's made me, and the opportunities. I think about years ago going up to my father-in-law's cabin up in the um, in the Sierras in Central California, and there was supposed to be a meteor shower that night. And it had the, according to the news, it had the potential to be the biggest meteor shower ever, or it could be the biggest dud. And I'm going to be at 6,000 feet with no city lights huh. It's like it couldn't have been better. So I went outside. It's about two in the morning. It was probably 20 degrees, but I'm standing outside and I just waited and I'm looking up in this dark sky and I probably was there for about 20 minutes. Didn't see a thing. And then (laughs) then I out loud, I found myself saying, well, that's a disappointment. And then immediately I realized that I'd never seen that many stars in one spot. Mm -hmm. I thought I was missing the wonder because I was focused on the one thing I didn't have. And to be intentional about it, always looking that direction, the more we can focus on gratefulness, the more the people-pleasing just drops away. Right. Yeah, Mike, uh, moving a bit from some of those good and godly perspectives into the practical realm, I'm thinking about people-pleasers in the workplace. What observations do you have about how that looks? It feels to me like a people pleaser can be taken advantage of. For instance, uh, we had a coworker years ago, and that, that guy said yes to everybody that walked by needing something, except he wasn't saying yes to his boss. He was saying yes to everybody else. So there was, there was a misapplication. What, what would you observe? Well, I think there's a couple of things that I've seen. One of them relates to your boss, oh. because obviously you want to please your boss, because they handle the paycheck. And so you're going to say yes, sometimes whether you want to or not, but you want them to think you're doing a good job. It's real easy, especially in the early days of that relationship, to be able to become more of a people pleaser. And you lose the strength of the relationship that can come when you're real and when you're vulnerable Mm -hmm. and have integrity in that relationship. And the other one centers around posturing with a team. And I've been on hundreds, probably thousands of Zoom calls over the last few years and watching team members on from a different company that are always talking about how excited they are about something someone else said, and they affirm them in this. And I find out later, it's like they thought that was the stupidest idea ever. But yeah. because they're in public, they're doing, they want to be the one giving the affirmations, mm. and there's not integrity behind it. And that's very common. Wow, that seems destructive, not just, you know, Mm -hmm. but very destructive to the team. So that's one of the difficulties. Um, You've alluded to this a few times, that people-pleasing can be a a big problem in the Christian community uh, because it's part of our spiritual DNA to care for others. And again, I think I want to make sure the listeners and the viewers understand this delicate nature between, you know, taking care of people around you and then making sure you're doing it with the right motivation. The Bible is full of instructions about loving, serving, sacrificing for others. So it, it pushes us in that direction. Mm-hmm. So how how do we put all of that into the proper perspective? We've mentioned it last time, but I, I want to make sure people get this again. 
most Jesus followers assume that people-pleasing is a bad thing. And they'll say, well, just quit worrying about what other people think. But God designed us to be in community. We need to please other people. And it's all through Scripture. Uh, Genesis 2, 18, God says it's not good for man to be alone. Now, we usually use that in the context of a, uh, a marriage relationship. But I think it stands on its own as well. It's not good for a man to be alone, which is why it bugs me that I write self-help books that are categorized <laughs> that way because our tendency is, well, I have a problem. I'm a people pleaser. I want to fix it. I'll get a book and do what it says. And I just find that really is hard to do. You know where it really becomes effective is to get a book like this and sit down and go through it with three or four other people. Then we have community. Because it's and accountability and accountability exactly <laughs> because you've got you've got the relationship God wants us to work together and throughout Scripture there's so many verses yeah. that have to do with that you know so often I, you, there's so many personality profile tests out there mm-hmm. and whenever I'm in a position and it hasn't been recent but whenever I'm taking one of those I'm often thinking how would the Lord score on this a disc test he'd score perfectly so what does that look like <laughs> you know the Lord would be perfect in every way. You know, beaver, otter, golden retriever, all that. And I I think in that application, we so often want to look at the example of Jesus and what he did. And in this area, I mean, he was very attuned to the needs around him. And whether that was Martha, Mary, Lazarus, I mean, all those things, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, there's all these great examples, the the crippled person. Put that into some context for us as what example was Jesus actually giving us in that balance of taking care of people? He also retreated and he rested Mm -hmm. and he was exhausted from all of this. So what's that balancing factor look like? Well, he was completely God, but he was completely human. And that's why we can identify with him. I don't know how he would score on those tests. Maybe he would be perfect, but we don't have to copy that example and say we have to be perfect. He was completely himself. That's what we need to do is to learn how he created us uniquely and build that. That's where the strength comes from. And to do Mm. that in the context of other people, because it's we grow around others. That's where strength really happens. Yeah. Mike, the scripture also talks about the Lord's yoke being light. This can be a delicate one because as we're doing Christian work, Uh, Whether we're working vocationally outside of the church, but then we're going to the church on Sunday, and maybe the pastors come up to us and said, boy, I really need somebody to lead that building fund campaign. Can you do that? Sure, sure. I'm I'm so impressed that you asked me to do that. I'd love to help you, pastor. And you you can apply that to anything for the hardworking woman who's asked to do a lot at the church with the nursery, whatever. Um, Where does that yoke become not light? And I've said yes to too many things. Mm. I think a lot of times it becomes not light when we say yes without praying about it or thinking. And that's one of my favorite phrases to use in response is, that sounds like such a great opportunity, and I'm honored that you would consider me to do that. Um, Let me think about it, and let me pray about it. Because, and I say that honestly, because if I say yes right now, I may regret it. I really want to know, is this what God has for me? Yeah. So what happens after you say that? What, what does a people pleaser think and how should they process that invitation to participate? Well, the people pleaser will say yes automatically. Yeah. So that's, I think that's the solution for the people pleaser is to say, give me time to process and pray and I'll get back with you in three days. But what questions does that people pleaser need to ask in those three days? 
of themselves. Yeah, and of God. And of God. Should I do this or not? And then what else have I said yes to? Because if I say yes to this, it's opportunity cost. If I say yes to this, I'm automatically saying no to every other opportunity so I can do that. How much time will it take? Is this really what I am wired to do? Could I do it? Yes, but is this fit in with my giftedness? Do I feel like, is it going to impact my family? Or just I need to look at all the factors, mm-hmm. and there's not one, but it's a matter of just where does this fit because of that opportunity cost. If I say yes to this, I will be saying no to other opportunities. Yeah. Mike, let me hone in a little bit on the question I asked you before, because I think it's important. I'm thinking of the couple where they have said yes to a lot of things, and it could be both the husband and the wife or either one of them. But in identifying an unhealthy people-pleaser attitude, um, let's say your spouse is just saying, wow, you've really overcommitted. I would think overcommitment can be an indicator, maybe not a perfect one, but an indicator of a people-pleaser. You know, that wife who said yes too much to the church activity and the husband now isn't feeling like they're getting enough time together uh, she's overcommitted to her Christian responsibilities. That's not uncommon. Um, you know, especially the kids are older, they're a little more self-reliant now, and she's busy doing things with the church. And the husband gets a little jealous about that because I also want some time with you. Is that an indication of a people pleaser? I think it certainly can be one of the characteristics, and it's it's one of the red flags that comes up. And what do you do? That's when I don't want to accuse and say, you're doing this and it's causing this. This is what I'm saying. I'm noticing some things that are happening in our relationship. Can we talk about them? When I see this happening, here's what I'm feeling. And I don't know if this is accurate or not, but let's, can we just talk about the impact of what both of us are doing? Because it probably has both sides to it. It's like, here's how I'm reacting. Maybe I'm being selfish or maybe not. But if we can have a sit down conversation without the accusation, without all the stuff. It's just, I'm feeling this, make it about me, but then have the conversation. And again, I think it's interesting because Jean is a self-professed people pleaser. She's a lot better at it today. But I can remember early in our marriage when it was yes to the bake sale, yes to this, yes to the homeroom mom thing. And I mean, she was at the school as much as the teacher was at school because she had two boys in school and there were two homeroom issues going on there. And she, you, you get the idea. And I can remember it just feeling like uh, when she would be regretting her yeses and telling me about that, um, for me to simply say, well, there's an easy solution, just say no. <laughs> it was almost like a dagger for her. It was unwise of me to do that. And, you know, I think I failed many times, probably, if she were sitting here, that I would say something like that, that's so obvious what you need to do, just say no, and you won't be so frustrated right now. But again, you've got to work in a loving way with each other because your goal should be trying to help. Yeah, you're trying to help your spouse grow to the point where they could say no. Let me ask on the other side of this, on the parenting side, when you see your 13, 14-year-old, and it may start sooner than that. I'm just grabbing that when the culture is raging toward them and, you know, all the the doors, as Dr. Dobson used to say, that hallway of doors with all the bad things that lurked behind them. He'd say, you know, in the old days, those doors were locked, but today those doors are not only unlocked, they're wide open, luring your your teens into some promiscuity or drugs or whatever it might be. In that context, if you see that your child is a people pleaser, what is a parenting approach that you would recommend to nurture that 
teen in a healthier direction? How do you help equip your teen not to be a unhealthy people pleaser? I think two approaches. One is I wouldn't go to them and say, here's what I'm seeing. You need to fix it. I would um, ask questions and tell stories. And when I say tell stories, I think of what I learned from uh, Gary Smalley years ago, where he talked about the power of story. And I remember with my son one time, he was starting to get involved in some things he shouldn't. And I remember going to him and he hated spiders. And I told him, I said, if I came into your room and I knew that there was a black widow spider in your closet, I don't want it to hurt you. I would want to go in there and find it and take care of it so that it wouldn't harm you. Would that be a good thing? And he agreed. Mm. And it hit him where he was because he really hated spiders. Right. And so I said, I've been noticing some things that are like spiders that are in your life right now. Can we talk about him? And then we started asking questions. I asked him what, what he was feeling about this and different things about if it was people-pleasing, I would ask him, what are some of the things you do? When you uh, do this with your friends, when you don't take care of yourself, when you say yes too many times, what does that feel like to you? And do you feel like you're getting overwhelmed? Do you feel like there's just too much going on? And then I just use the questions to let him move towards conclusions. And so, did that all work? Yes, I mean, it did. Yeah, that's great. Uh-huh. So I think using stories that they can identify with, which means you had to plan that, you had to think through it. Mm-hmm. But I think questions are the most powerful tool we have. That's amazing. It's kind of how the Lord wired us, right? Yeah. To unlock those things. Mike, this has been great. What a wonderful resource, the mm-hmm. People Pleaser's Guide to Loving Others Without Losing Yourself. Um, if you're sitting there or driving down the road, whatever you're doing right now, and you're going, wow, this kind of, I feel a bit of identity in this. This might be who I am that unhealthy people pleaser, guess what? It's okay. Um, we all have things to work on. And uh, I would just like to encourage you to get a hold of us and let us get a copy of this book into your hands. And if you can make a gift of any amount, we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you for partnering with us to do ministry together, but also getting a great resource that can help you grow in your spiritual journey as a Christian. And uh, I'm just, I'm very uh, mindful that this is one of those subtle topics that we often won't deal with. So I'm grateful. Thank you, Mike, for bringing such a uh, vast uh, amount of insight and knowledge to this issue. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Mm. Well, donate today and get in touch to request your book. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or online, you can donate and request that book at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.